I always wonder with coaches that are so okay with pressing the whole game, what do you like in Vegas gambling? <laughs> you know, like my hand's shaking at the craps table all night. That's funny because I actually like to I like to gamble. You know, I love, I love, I love <laughs> Vegas. Thank God I haven't been there in a few years, but like I love roulette. I love the, the black or red to spin the spin the wheel. Like it's kind of like pressing, right? You're gonna score, you're gonna give up something, you know. So it's gonna be black or red, and put a hundred bucks on black, and let's see what happens. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the head coach of NCAA Division II St. Thomas Aquinas, Tobin Anderson. Coach Anderson is here today to discuss turning around underperforming programs, all the philosophy and ins and outs of his full court matchup press, and we talk motion cuts and winning on the road during the always fun start, sub, or sit. We're excited to have recently launched Slapping Glass Plus, our coaching and leadership platform consisting of Slapping Glass TV, the Sunday morning newsletter, a private Coach's Corner community, monthly clinics and Q&As, and more. For more details on both individual and full staff discount rates, please visit slappingglass.com. We hope to see you there. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Tobin Anderson. We want to start with your own personal experience, but also your advice in helping coaches who are trying to kind of build towards a a great job and the types of jobs that you take early in your career that are good for growth personally, but then also professionally? Yeah, it's an interesting topic because, you know, I think, you know, my dad was a high school coach for my whole life, obviously. And so I was around him being a head coach. That's all all I knew is him being a head coach. And so I'd watch him and how he ran a program. And then when I started working the five-star basketball camp with Howard Garfinkel, who just got in the Hall of Fame, his whole thing was, you want to be a head coach as soon as you can. Those are two different opinions. And to be a head coach is, is a great thing. So I think for my development, I, I wanted to be a head coach when I was young. My personality lends itself to being a head coach. I don't think I'm a great assistant as far as I want to kind of make decisions and, and be in charge. But listen, it's hard to get a head coaching job. That's not easy to do. So I actually, a lot of times the head coaching jobs you get are not the best ones. The ones have been losing. They haven't had a lot of success. So you have to take those jobs and be ready to turn a program around. So I've had three head coaching jobs and two of them were, were really not in a good place when I took over. And I think in a way it's kind of a good situation because you're going into a place where they want to see some change and they want to see something different. They've been losing. I mean, it hasn't been working. So they're kind of open. I think the, the two places I've been, Clarkson and now St. Thomas Aquinas at Stack, that they um been re- very receptive to anything we did early on. And I can kind of be, for lack of a better word, more of a jerk and just say, listen, this is what it's going to be. Like what's going on before was not working. So we're going to do this. There's no if ands, or buts, we're going to go at it this way. I think you have to have some success early on because that validates what you're doing a little bit. And so we've been able to win early and get some of that going and get create a positive environment where now all of a sudden you've been losing. Now you're winning. Well, now I really believe what coach says. Now I have a better belief in what they're doing and you kind of steamroll from that. So I think sometimes taking a job like that, it makes you a better coach because you've got to be full speed ahead. You've got to be ready for anything. You're going to lose some games. You're going to lose some players, all that kind of stuff. But you learn a lot about yourself, about your program. And if you can turn those programs around, now all of a sudden you got yourself a lot of momentum going forward. Like our first year here at Stack, we went to the conference finals. 
And they had never been to the conference finals, been 50 years in this conference, had not been to the conference finals. We go the first year to the final, but all of a sudden, hey, we know what we're doing. And the guys right. were more bought in, more. Our, our spring workouts were awesome. Our recruiting got better. And now we were just going full speed ahead from there. You mentioned you guys made the conference tournament your first year with Stack. What does success look like in the first couple of years when you're turning around a program that's been losing and not doing so well? Yeah, because there's a lot of things going into that, right? What does success look like? It's creating a positive environment as far as the guys doing the right things. For example, I saw a team picture the year before I got to Stack, a team picture. The guys had all different colored shoes on, socks were different, guys had jewelry in. Like, I'm like, let's just take a good team picture. We're serious about what we're doing, how we handle ourselves off the court as far as going to class and being good students and being good people and doing those things the right way, where, where people were coming up to me, professors and administrators saying, I really like how your players are handling themselves off the court. And then obviously, you have to have success on the court. They have to see a validation of what you're doing. We scrimmaged a team my first year. We scrimmaged St. Rose, who was a very good Division II team up in Albany. And they beat us by 30 in the first half. And the coach said, well, let's wipe the score clean. Let's start over again. They beat us by 30 again in the second half. So it was a 60-point <laughs> loss. Listen, that was discouraging. There's no doubt about it. I was much more resilient then than I am now. If we lose now, I, it's like I'm, I'm going to funk for like, you know, 48 <laughs> hours. Back then, we lose by 60. I'm like, all right, we got to go back to work tomorrow. That's it's just what it is. got to get better. So I think you see progress and you create that positive momentum. Like, hey, listen, we're, you know, we're, we're right there. Like we played a team and, and we lost them by 25 last year. And we lost by six this year. And we're, we're getting close. And we're getting better. You know, we're playing a lot of new guys, a lot of freshmen. And so you kind of create the, hey, we're young. We're going to get better. And, you know, I remember I wrote on the board our second year we lost at home to a really good team. And I came in off after the game, wrote on the board, we're going to beat this team in the conference tournament. And two months later, we did. And I think we just tried to just all that, we're going to get better. And like we lived in the gym. There's no substitute for hard work and for being gym rats. And for, you know, my dad was that way as a, as a coach. He was, the gym was always open. We lived, I mean, our first couple of years, it was like our offices were in the gym. We were constantly working out of the gym. Guys were in there all the time. Yeah. And we just made it a basketball first program. And then, all the other things around that had to be good as well. But, you know, it was a lot of just sweat, blood, tears to get yeah. it going. Coach, with talking a little bit about taking difficult jobs early in your career, especially a head coaching job, I think sometimes a fear out there of, well, if I take a job at a school that's struggling for whatever reason, and then I take that head job, I go and then I lose, then my brand as a coach goes down. I might never get a head job again because people say, hey, he was a loser there too. So my question then is, what elements of a job need to sort of be in place for, let's say the school's struggling, but you as a coach, when you're interviewing, say, okay, they're struggling, but they either have a great AD that's ready to win or they have a facility. Like what needs to be in place to turn a program around? That's a great point because there were some things at Stack on the surface, like, oh, it's a bad job, but we had a great AD. The AD was awesome. Like he was a basketball guy. He was on the NCAA committee. So he was a basketball first guy. The president, when I met with her, she was fully committed to it. So having the administration in your corner and wanting to win and wanting to have success is huge. And then you got to kind of look at your conference and say, well, all right, now we, maybe I can't be one or two, but can I get to three or four? Like in our league, one or two at, at that time was out of the question. Now it ended up happening quicker. <laughs> but I think, all right, can we get to three or four and be in the top half? Everybody always says, well, you take a job in the top half of your conference. But the problem is you can't always do that. You know, you have to take a job. It's not a great job. So can you get to the middle of the pack? And then once you get to the middle of the pack, then maybe you can catch some of those teams that are towards the top. So I think administration, people around you that want to have success. Like, I think part of the deal is when you're at a scholarship level, are you close to a lot of players? Like, you know, we're outside New York City, so we're close to a lot of people in, in the metropolitan area. 
who we can recruit from. So having a good recruiting base is so important where I'm like, oh, listen, I can, I can get a guy from St. Anthony's High School and playing for Bob Hurley. I can get a guy from Mount Vernon playing for Bob Samino. I can get a guy who's close by that can help us because they're only 45 minutes away. And, you know, I also, I come from the five-star basketball camp where I knew a lot of people. So I'm like, well, we'll eventually be able to get players where we're located. But you're right. There has to be something for me. It was the athletic director. He was just a great guy in our corner. That made a big difference in what was going on too. Coach, on the other end, are there jobs that can pigeonhole you that even if you have success, they'll still stymie your career? Absolutely. I was at Clarkson, my first job, and we were doing well, but no one really cared, you know? And so if you're <laughs> to play sometimes where it's a, it's a hockey school and they're like, oh, that's great. The basketball team's having success. But like, it's like, what is success? Well, you know, here it's, you know, in certain places you, you win 25 games, go to the NCAA tournament. Some places just go to, just to go 500. I think sometimes the coach of the year in the conference is a guy who goes 500 in an absolutely impossible job, you know, a place that you just can't win at. And so, but on the surface, going 16 and 12 and going to the semifinals, your conference tournament is not going to get you your next job. So sometimes you get stuck in a situation where you just can't win at a super high level. Like Isaac Clarkson, my first job is that, you know, I got the job when I was 27 years old there for five years. We got to the point where we were pretty good. We weren't great. We weren't winning 25 games. It was kind of like I was maybe, you know, spinning my wheels a little bit and I was lucky to get a job from there. But yeah, there's absolutely some places that no matter what you do, you're not going to get the attention to get the next job, but you learn. I mean, the whole thing's a learning process. And I think part of that is when you're young, you're also networking like crazy. You're working camps, you're doing things. I had a lot of opportunity to do that when I was still single and still had my summers. I would, you know, I go, I go right. to five star for, for eight straight weeks and live in a dorm and eat terrible food. But I was meeting all <laughs> kinds of people and spending time listening to great coaches. And I, and I had enough of connections that if, you know, I, I could move from where I was at, but it can be tough sometimes. With your perspective, with your dad being a high school coach, and obviously now you're a college coach, if you want to be a college coach, does it make sense? Like, hey, you got to start in college then. Or if you start in high school, like, is it going to then maybe delay the process or make things longer if you want to break into college? Yeah, I think for college, you got to start in college. I think there's just just such a different thing as far as the recruiting aspect to it and, and how you run a program. And I think they just it's a big help to be in college. And it's and honestly, and I I have not been at the high major level. I think it's probably a benefit to be at the high major level where you can kind of see how those programs are run. I mean, those are there's a lot of difference between a Villanova or Georgetown than there is in a Siena or an, an FDU or a place like that. So there's some value into going. You know, obviously in college, you get for the the systems and the program and the recruiting and, and how it's run much more than high school, but a lot of great high school coaches who have been very successful. And like you see guys who, who, you know, would be great college coaches who are high school coaches who you just know have sure. that knack. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, like I'm still humbled. My dad was a great high school coach. Like I try every day to be as good a coach as he was. And I'm always like, I'm not as, I don't know as much as he does. He was a great basketball coach. And I see guys now who I'm like, well, this guy's a way better coach than, than a lot of college coaches. And he's a high school guy, you know, but some guys are comfortable doing that. Some guys like being high school coaches and there's a great value in that as well. Yeah. Coach, how about in a career, getting to a point in your career where you're at a place that you're happy to kind of stay for a long time, where some of the happiest coaches that I know are division two and division three head coaches or high school head coaches, where they just are at the level they love at a school they love. And they're no longer looking to maybe do the um, summer circuit of, <laughs> of eating crappy food. And the, for like yourself, for, for coaches out there, where does that sort of take place where you're saying, hey, now I'm, I'm good here. I'm going to stay and, and make a career of it. Yeah, my dad told me that, you know, what's a, what's a good program? A program you, you can win at is a great program. And like, if you can find a place where you can win and be successful and you're happy, you don't want to mess with happiness. You know, I mean, yeah. the, the, the beer tastes better. The wings taste better after wins. Like, that's, just, that's just all there is to it. Like we got, we got after wins, like I still enjoy the wins. We won a lot of games and like every win's like a new thing for us. And so if you can find a place where you can win and have success, 
and be happy. Like sometimes you get to a certain point, chasing the next job is just not worth it. I mean, I've loved being at Stack. I've never been happier being here. Yeah, I mean, are there challenges here? Yeah. Our gym is maybe one of the worst gyms in Division Two. It's that we have our facilities are awful. But you know what? Here's the thing. When a kid comes here and if, if they're going to make their decision based on the facilities, we probably don't want that guy. He's probably not the toughest guy, the guy who is yeah. grinder, the gym rat. I want guys who come here because they want to win and be successful. And so we've done a good job of surrounding ourselves with those kind of people who are blue collar guys. You, know, you see a lot of guys that are doing that. You see a lot of guys who are happy at division two and division three and they're winning. And I think that's a great thing. I think that's an awesome yep. thing. You know, sometimes the outside forces make you chase jobs because, oh, you should be a division one coach or you should do this. Well, that's, they don't know you. And I think I see a lot of guys going after things and then being unhappy. You know, we had Fran Franchella on who spoke at our tip-off dinner a few years ago. And Fran talked about his happiest days were at Manhattan. And I kind of feel sometimes about stack. I've been involved in some jobs, but I'm like, I, I love what I'm doing here. I love the people here. I love who I'm, I'm around. Sure. Why screw that up? You know? Right. So I'm sure at some point I will screw it up, but I don't want to screw it up. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> Coach, we'd like to move into conversation about pressing and something that I know you are, you and your opponents are very familiar with. A kind of a funny question to start here on it, but I always wonder with coaches that are so okay with pressing the whole game, what do you like in Vegas gambling? Are, are you a, uh, <laughs> you know, like, because for someone like me, kind of a nervous pressing guy, like I'm, I'm my hand shaking at the craps table all night. How are you with that? And that's funny because I actually like to I like to gamble. You know, I, I love, I love, I love Vegas. <laughs> Thank God I haven't been there in a few years, but like I love roulette. Like I love roulette. Like I love the, the black or red yeah. spin the spin the wheel. Like it's kind of like pressing, right? You're gonna score, you're gonna get, give up something, you know. So it's gonna be black or red, and put a hundred bucks on on black, and let's see what happens. So no, I I think I'm a gambler by nature. That's a personality a little bit. You gotta. Everybody's like, well, you press, you're gonna give stuff up. Well, yeah, you're gonna give stuff up. That's part of pressing. You're gonna have to give something up. Our best pressing teams give up more points than our bad pressing teams, but we're getting more. Right. I don't mind giving us stuff up. If, if we can get the, the plus minus ends up being 30 points off our press and we're giving up 15, I'll take that, you know, as opposed Absolutely. to you know, the other way. So yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm more of a gambler by, by nature, okay. by my personality. So, and I, listen, as I get, sometimes you get, as you get older, you get more conservative. As I've gotten older, I've gotten more like, I want to be even like wilder next year. Let's score 110. Let's press off misses. Let's make the game even more chaotic. So I think I'm getting more Give it, going the other way. Yeah, yeah. the opposite way. Of most, most, <laughs> I'm getting more wild, I think, on that, on that situation. Well, Coach, before we get really into the, I guess, some of the details of it, one more, I guess, kind of philosophical question with pressing. Always interested to hear where your roots came from with learning how to press and why you bought into it as a coach. Patino's team, back when he had Walter McCarty and Mashburn, those guys just watched. I think I was in college then. And he, I mean, they just had so much talent. But you'd watch those games and they just came at you. And then so then... You know, my dad, at the end of his career, started pressing some with his teams. I just like the idea of just throwing the first punch, like going after people. When you're in Division Three, you're coming off vans, you're coming off a bus the day of the game. There's never a time when we're not ready to play because we're pressing. Like, we're walking in the gym, like we're going for you. There's not an opportunity for us to be flat. You can't press and be flat. So, like, we walk off the van or off the bus, we're not going to be flat because we're going to go. You know, as soon as we score, we're, we're up into you. And guys know that. It was like a mentality. And I think it creates this in your opponents sometimes more of a mindset like, oh, geez, here we go. You know, we're going to see this for 40 minutes tonight. And like, you better be ready because we're going to come after you. So I, I thought the Patino teams watching them play when he's at Kentucky. And I still have highlight tapes of those games. They're off of VHS. I taped up a tape and it's, it's awful. But like, we'll show them to our guys sometimes. And you can see those guys, how they um, went after people. And I just, I thought it was great. I, I loved it. I loved how the teams played. Coach, if we can start to dive into your press, I guess let's start with what are kind of like, 
your core tenets or core philosophy of the press when you start to work on it with your guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts with ball pressure. No matter if it's the inbounder, having our, what we call our four-man or the guy guarding the inbounder, you got to be careful nowadays that you start calling guys four-man. They don't want to be called four-man because that's like a power forward. So we, we're going to change the names to like animals, like pit bulls and things like that. Because they don't want to be, <laughs> guys don't want to be called four-man sometimes. So the guy on the ball, that's our four-man. But his pressure initially by trying to get deflections and tips and like create havoc on the ball is great. And then when the ball gets inbound and just have the pressure, be connected with the ball and make the guy with the ball, he's got to dribble it. Like, you know, we always say, if they're going to pass the ball against our press, that's not a good thing. We do not want teams to pass the ball. So the, the fact that we can get ball pressure and make them dribble is huge. You know, being on a string where all five guys are connected, we trap based on the situation, based on if a guy spins, if a guy loses vision, we'll trap off a, a guy who can't handle. So if that happens, okay, that's fine. The other four guys got to make sure they're moving as that guy goes to trap and they're all connected as one. And then the same thing, if we get beat, you know, a guy goes by somebody, we have to know, okay, now we got to come from behind, get our back pressure. Guys in the back have to be able to stunt and not give, give up layups for the most part and chase stuff down from behind, but it's all five guys being connected. That's the hardest part. Cause if you go out there and you got four guys who are doing their job and one guy's not playing with energy, playing with toughness, you're going to be in trouble sometimes. And so I think the five guys being connected, the ball pressure, the fact that everybody's got to get to ball level, the old you're, you're behind and you're like, well, I'm out of the play. Well, you're never out of the play. You're, there's always something that's going to happen. So we got to make sure guys are coming from behind and, and they're getting the ball level that just aggressiveness. And like on the ball, we're not afraid to get beat. And we actually tell the guys, if you get beat, We'd like to not get beat on the first dribble, but you're going to get beat on the second dribble and we'll find a way to figure that out. Well, you're going to stunt the speed dribble or we'll try to get that guy turned or we'll go trap it, but you can't be afraid to get beat. You can't be afraid to, to put unbelievable pressure on the ball. And that's when I'll stop in practice. When, I, when we're not up in the ball, that's an automatic, like we got problems. And like, you got to have at the front of your press, you got to have pit bulls. You got to have guys who just love to defend. And so you, you recruit to that. You recruit guys who, who have the mentality that want to do that. And listen, it is not easy. It's easy on game night to do it every day in practice. Like someone said, if you want to play fast and press, that's great for the games, but you got to do it every day in practice. And those are the hard days when it's like, oh, here we are again, yeah. you know, it's minus 20 out and we're walking this damn gym and, and here goes, uh, <laughs> here we go again. We're going to have to start pressing. And we, we get into it fairly quickly in practice. So it's like, yeah, we get loose. We do some individual stuff. And then by the 20th minute of practice, we're going up and down five on five. We're pressing, you know, and I'm yelling and screaming and hollering. And the coaches are yelling and screaming. That's not easy to do every day. Sticking with the on-ball pressure, and you said you want to just try to contain in one dribble. I guess, what is the technique so you don't just get beat in one dribble and now you're in those stunt or rotation situations? But we play head up, so we don't force either way. And so, okay. and it's like anything else, you mess around with it sometimes. And so if I've, whenever I mess around with the press, I get in trouble. Well, let's, let's, maybe we should force we can. Well, we force we can. Now we're getting beat on that first bounce too easily. So we just play head up, nose of the ball, and then we're really getting the other guys to the ball. So it's like, all right, let's get the ball on the side. And the guy, we always want to get guys to midline and get guys, obviously, to the middle of the court. If that guy is sitting midline, if he's sitting over there, it's hard to go full speed middle because there's a guy, there's a defender sitting right in that gap there. So it's like, if we're on the ball, head up, and there's a guy sitting there, he sees him there, he won't necessarily go full, full speed. The place they'll try to go full speed is sideline. And we like that because if they beat a sideline, we're going to try to turn that guy and trap from behind. Basically, the core thing is trap middle, turn sideline, trap middle. So if a guy beats the sideline, we're not trying to trap up the sideline. We're trying to get that guy turned on the sideline. That's the core principle. Because if you start, if a guy beats your sideline, he can see the guy coming to trap, coming at him. As opposed to if you get him turned, yeah. now he can't see that guy coming. So we prefer to not trap 
up the sideline. Do we do it sometimes? Yeah, we definitely do it, but we prefer not to do that as much. We prefer stunt sideline, trap middle. So if you give me a sideline, it's, it's just, a, it's a race hit. You know, like I tell the guys, like, listen, you get us one turn. If you can just get us one turn, we'll be in great shape. Everybody's like, well, you have to have great athletes. We have slow guys. I mean, I couldn't have pressed. I'm the slowest guy in the world. I tell them a lot of time. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> anybody turn, but like, just get us one turn. Now, obviously if you can get us three turns. We'll be in great shape. If you can get us one turn, we'll be fine. So you're going yep. to be part of the deal. Get us one turn and we'll deal with it with that. It's just one quick point of clarification for those listening to we're uh, we're talking right now about man-to-man press right yep. a matchup right it's a matchup pressure it's man-to-man it starts off man-to-man man-to-man then we trap it becomes we rotate and zone up and then but it's back, okay. always back to man-to-man press yep we don't match up with our typical we go to spots and find the closest man got it okay so we, yeah we, we go to an area and then right. you find the closest man so sometimes you'll have your point guard guard and their wing or and things like that so we're we're fine with that but it's, it's, a, it's a matchup man-to-man press so that was going to be kind of my next question because with the matchup man to man, let's say on a make or a miss. So guys are running to spots and then yep. finding the man that spot as opposed to trying to find their matchup. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So our two best defenders on the ball, we usually, they go to the elbows and they find that. So that's our, that's our one and our three man. They go to the elbows and they find the closest guys at the elbows. As the game goes along, you know, teams only have a certain number. It's like, let's get his own offense. How many, how many press breaks does the team have? So at a certain point, what are they trying to do? You know where they're going to go and you get to those areas and find those guys. So okay. we, we say the elbows, but sometimes they may put a guy deeper and well, all right, if there's a guy deeper, you go back to you find somebody, but our two best defenders take their two best guys who are up usually. Right. Okay. And then our four man's on the ball. Then our two man is our deep guy. He's our last guard. He kind of matches up the last guy that's back. Then our five man, as soon as he can get back and clear space, he'll take the last guy back. So the two and the five who are back have to communicate and figure out who they're guarding back there. We get matched up that way. Okay. I think one of the things uh, whenever we press that always is hardest to teach is a press presents a lot of gray areas and questions for players of like, well, what happens if he does this? Or what happens if he goes here? <laughs> like, it's like the, the 20 questions game yep. every time yep. work on it. How do you answer those questions and how do you work on the gray areas of a press to get back to your half-court defense? That's a great point, Dan. We don't, for the most part, I leave, I leave them alone during practice. You know, they got to figure it out. Now, we, do, we watch a ton of tape. We tape okay. every practice. We watch a ton of film because if things are going that fast and I try to stop and explain it to one guy, I'm probably confusing three or four other guys. So I do have coaches watch certain parts. Like some guys will watch the guys at the front. Some guys will watch the guys in the back. I have one coach who watched guys in the back. Because a lot of times in the press, you're looking at the front guys and say, well, the front guys aren't doing their job. It's the back guys who have to be involved because they're, they're the guys who are going to have to rotate, make decisions on should they come up, should they not come up. So we'll watch the back guys sometimes more than anything else. I try to, for the most part, not tell them, hey, you were right or you were wrong during practice. We'll get on about their effort. Obviously, if you're not yeah. matched up, if there's not ball pressure, we're going to get in their ass and like, hey, there's got to be ball pressure. As far as rotations and gray area, I try to stay out of that. So almost every day we come in before practice and watch some clips especially the first like month of practice. Here's good. Here's been the good thing about being in a place for a long time. And we've played the same way now for eight years, for the most part, we have lots of tape and we watch a lot of tape individually with our guys. I'd say more individual tape than team stuff. It's always kind of like, here's what you could have done. Not here's what you have to do. And at the end of the day, we tell them if we can give up no layups, no threes to a dead three point shooter, and then not foul, we'll be fine. Cause a good press sometimes means they just use 15 seconds to, to go down the floor they can't score against us and how they want to score. They got to pull it back out and set up. That's a win for us. They wasted half the shot clock and now they're playing fast. And we're looking for six nothing runs. We talk to guys all the time. The bad teams are going to get a 14 nothing run. 
But against a good team, let's get a 6 nothing spurt where we score, turn them over, score, turn them over, score. They call timeout. You get two or three of those a game, that's your game right there, as opposed to trying to just blow teams out of every possession. So the gray area is a part that we try to like just not get too, you know, we call them fix-its. Like I think like Shaka Smart started that to fix it. Like, you know, if they break our press, how do we fix this? And the fix-it becomes no layups, no threes to a dead three-point shooter, and then we don't want to foul. In the fix-it category, are there any types of traps or trapping areas that are complete no-nos? We don't want long traps. So any kind yeah. of, if you, if you can't get there in three steps, you probably shouldn't go. So you should yeah. stunt until you get within three steps. So we like, like long traps where they can see it coming. What long traps become long rotations. So the longer the trap, the longer the rotation is. Now all of a sudden this, the court's more open for things to happen. So we always, you know, short traps are good. I think you fall in love with trap in the first pass sometimes. I think that's kind of bad pressing teams or predictable pressing teams will trap that first pass. And all of a sudden, right off the bat, we're in rotation. Our best press is, all right, they get it in. We just kind of hang and see what they're going to do. Do they clear out? Do they go full speed right away? Do they get into a press breaker? And I said, just let let them make a decision. They only have 10 seconds. They don't don't have that much. You can't sit there and and go forever. They got to make a decision at some point. And then how we press with the matchup press, the man-to-man and then trying to trap an opportunity, it should never look the same two times in a row. So if it starts looking the same, like you said, well, you know, if we start trapping the first pass, it becomes very predictable. It becomes the same. I think then it becomes easier to break, especially against good teams. So we try to be as unpredictable as possible, be different every time. And like sometimes we don't trap at all. Nothing wrong with stunning. We played Gonzaga my second year. We got in the NIT for the, um, they, they needed a Division II team in the NIT. We played Gonzaga. Well, for God's sakes, like we're not going to go play Gonzaga <laughs> and trap like, and they had, they had Kyle Wilcher, they had Sabonis was there, they had the, kid, the point guard who's a great player. So like, we're not going to go play Gonzaga and trap. I'm like, I'm not an idiot, you know? So <laughs> if we play against a really good team, we'll go more conservative. And that's part okay. of pressing is like, our press can morph into what our team is and who we're playing. If we're just better, we might go and be a little more aggressive and make some traps we probably should make. If we're like, oh, this team is pretty damn good. You know, the point guard is really good. Let's do a lot more stunning, a lot more staying home and find the right opportunity. So let's say we only go half the time. Let's make sure there are good times that we go. You know, yeah. that's the fun part of it is we, and like, I always tell the guys, but at first media timeout, you'll know before I know. And they'll come to the, t- the timeout. I said, what, what, what do you guys think? And my best teams will say at, at the timeout, hey guys, we're trapping too much. Let us do our job up front. They'll, they'll tell our teammates, let, let us do our job up front. Let us turn this guy a little bit. Let's not go crazy and trap. Because sometimes a trap bails a guy out. Like now all of a sudden he gets trapped. Okay, now a bad ball handler can make it a, a skip pass or hit the guy in the middle and now we're in trouble. So we let the guys kind of figure things out as it goes along. People say, well, the pressing, it's easier as the year goes along. It's not as effective. I think it gets better because our guys start to figure out what they can and can't do by the time we get to March, as far as what our strengths are, what we can do well and not do well. And that's, that becomes a bonus for us. Sure. With the randomness and never trying to do the same thing twice, will you ever change the on-ball pressure as far as do a, a more, let's say, contain, but not, or is it always the on-ball pressure always the same? It's just the stunts or the traps. The on-ball has got to be the same. Because if you start doing that, then pretty, you might as well not press. You might as well just go back and just retreat and surrender, we call it. We know that's not our, our thing. So I think the on-ball pressure has got to okay. be the same. I think what you just said, the, stu- the off-the-ball guys kind of dictate how aggressive you're going to be. We have calls. I mean, we, have, we definitely have calls. Like our 55 is our full court man, no traps. So at the end of the game, two minutes to go, we'll go straight 55, no traps, and it's all stunts. Now, they don't know we're not coming. So let's stun hard. Let's come up two steps like we're coming and then retreat and, and off the ball and just kind of, you know, let the guy on the ball work yeah. a little bit, you know. But that's got to be a constant, the on the ball pressure. And if they can't touch the guy, if they can't, you know, be able to get, get up into him where he's got to go hard 
to beat us, then that's that's a major problem. We also recruit. I think we have better defensive guards than maybe anybody that we play against. When we recruit, we'll sacrifice shooting and scoring to have a great defender up front who can just, and that's great. If you can bring a guy off the bench who's a, just an unbelievable defender and he just wants to get up in the ball, those guys are invaluable to our system. Coach, when you're not playing Gonzaga, what gives your press troubles? Yeah, that's a good one because there's, there's, ha- that does happen, right? A great point guard will give it, I mean, I just that's just true no matter what it is. Maybe not a guy who's super quick, but just who can see the floor, has a head up the whole time. Yeah. He can see, see things coming. Those guys will give you a lot of trouble. I think big guards who can see over us. You know, I think small guards, we, we're a little bit better on it because they can't see the top of our traps and our rotations. But a big guard, we played uh, Northwest Missouri State, who's you know Division II national champions three of the last four years. The guy's a great coach, a great program. And he had his big guys, actually, he put his point guard at half court, had his big guys start to bring it. And if we started to come, they, the big guards would see us coming. They'd hit the point guard. And all of a sudden, you know, yep. they got the best player in the middle of the floor with the ball. So I think big guards hurt us. Great point guards hurt us. I think teams that have a great balance of knowing when to go when there's like a three on two and it's the right opportunity and also when to pull it back out and make us have to defend in the half court and slow the tempo down, those teams cause us problems. Teams that just want to go, we're fine with that. We're used to that. But the teams that can have a nice balance of, okay, we have nothing right now. Let's pull it back out and let's make these guys defend for 30 seconds. That will cause us problems too. So I think yeah. those are the, probably the biggest things, you know, but I, I don't mind. And I tell you this. I think teams sometimes that have to play a little bit loose with their press break who don't have a necessary out. I think the teams that have a structured press break are easier for us to figure out. The ones who just on a made basket, just get it and go. Because it's almost like we got to kind of figure out then what they're doing and have to react to how they're going. And, and there's no structure to it. So it's kind of like it's a free-flowing game. That hurts us a little bit more. The teams that like let the ball bounce, let their four-man take it out or their point guard take it out, gives us a chance to kind of get in position that helps us sometimes to be able to do that. I actually, we have a harder time against teams that just go. Coach, you mentioned it a second ago about, you know, getting into half court defense now and kind of wanted to talk about that subject because I think being a great pressing team, sometimes coaches will say, well, how do you work on your half court defense? And for you to win in March and be a NCAA tournament team, at some point you have to be a great half court team as well. How do you work on going from great back pressure on the press to then getting really locked in half court defensively and the half court defense is still the backbone of our program everybody's like when well, you press all the time we only press on makes and on dead balls so you're only you're only really pressing i think it was this year it was like 42 percent of the time we're pressing we're not pressing every possession because we, we miss a shot we're back in our defensive transition back in our half court man and the first thing we teach at the start of the year is not our press it's our defensive transition off of misses then it's our press and then you know half court defense is still the backbone of what you do so we spend a ton of time on that we're pretty vanilla in the half court we, we don't gamble at all the mantra is kind of, hey, we'll take our chances with our press. We'll take our chances by playing this way. When it gets in the half court, we're just going to gap. We're going to play basically head up, maybe a little bit of no middle in certain seasons and nothing too tricky at all and just try to contain the ball and play that way. By doing that, it kind of gives us like a um, a two-tempo defense. The first tempo is, hey, our press is just, you know, we're, we're going to go after you. And then the half court is more like, all right, now we're going we're gonna to guard and be solid. Listen, we're still doing shell drill. We're still doing our breakdown stuff. We're still doing closeouts. All the stuff we have to do, we're doing in the half court. We don't we don't compromise that at all. But we do compromise. We don't play any zone. I might be the worst out of bounds play coach in the country. We have the worst out of bounds plays. I mean, they're they're awful. Like I don't have <laughs> we don't have any lob plays. Like we we run motion on offense, so it's like we don't have a lot of sets. We're not as tricky, probably. We're just more because we have to do like you said. We have to do the half court. The half court defense has to be good. And I think we've been we've been very good. We've led the conference in in our most of our stuff most years. 
you know, defensive field goal mm-hmm. percentage, um, all the stuff that's important to us, we've been great about. So it's we haven't compromised that. I don't I don't think at all. And I wish I could coach zone and I could be better coaching zone. I just don't have the the patience and probably the time to do that. So like if we if we play any kind of secondary defense, it's like a triangle and two or a one three and a chaser where it's very simple to we don't have to spend a lot of time going over that. Yeah. Just, we give, but our half court has to be good and in line. So you know we will press the start of practice and then at some point we're going into half court stuff to break down. We did a lot more three on three defensively stuff the last couple of years. Actually, I mean, I've gotten away from as much the shell stuff as much and more of the three on three and more of the guarding certain actions. But our guys know from. But we emphasize that we're going to be good in the half court as well. Coach, if I can just follow you, you said something really interesting. Why have you gone away more from shell and more towards three on three? It almost it becomes robotic sometimes. You know, the, the jump to the ball, you know, how we used to do it all the time. We'd start out with the closeouts. We'd start with the, getting them in position and things like that. And I think they got to be able to react to certain things. They got to be able to be spontaneous. And so we still do some here and there, but the three on three, you can get harder to guard, but there's more court to guard. There's more spacing out there for the offensive team. And I love playing three on three for our offense because it, there's more room and more opportunities to do other things. Well, now defensively, it's harder to guard certain things. So I think it gives us a chance to kind of really focus on how we're guarding certain actions. And most, most action happens with three guys involved for the most part. So it's like, it allows us to, to really focus on a certain action. I think for the flow of practice too, when you're going a lot of five on five, and then you go to the four on four half court. It kind of slows. I don't want to slow practice down. So three on three gets a lot more, a lot more action, a lot quicker stuff happening. I've loved it. The yeah. guys enjoy it too. It sounds to me what Dan had asked about earlier, like teaching the gray areas of the press, and then you know with three on three and going away from our shell, it it's generating more of these gray areas. So I guess my question is, what does the press teaching the press help your team do in the half court? And I've always thought that my dad told me that too, is like the, I think the press makes you a better half court defensive team. Like we're a little more on our toes. You know what I'm saying? Defense, like guys in the gaps are a little more like we're sniffing things out quicker. They see things happening sooner. Cause when the press, you got to be alert to what's going to happen. If a guy starts to get beat, you got to react right away. Well, I think the same thing if you're playing, you know, the half court gap defense, you've got to be alert and ready to help on the first action, the first dribble, the first look, the press is a ball press. Like you're addicted, the ball dictates what you do. Well, the half court, the ball dictates everything. So it kind of helps our half court just be a little more ready to play right off the bat. Like we're not back on our heels at all. We're, we're fairly aggressive. I will say rotations because of our press rotations, we're, we're trapping all the time. We're constantly doing things with guys moving. Then now in the half court, if there is a baseline drive, we got to come over and shut that down and rotate. We're much better with our rotations because of the press. Like all five mm-hmm. guys are on a string. We're moving together. I think it really helped us that way. In ball screen defense, we're, we're able to now when we ice most things on the side, same thing, just to be dis- disruptive. But now when there's a throwback and we got to stunt that guy or we let's say we rotate to a great shooter, a guy who pops, we're able to rotate quicker and we have a better feel for it because of the pressing rotation. So I think it's, yeah. it's helped to make us better. We get we get more deflections. We get more tips. And like, listen, guys want to make things happen, you know, and I we will tell them sometimes like, Hey, listen, we, we got to make something happen here. Like press or half court defense. We got to get deflection. We got to get a steal. We got to shoot a gap. We can recover if that happens. I mean, we don't want to do it all the time, but we can be a little more aggressive because that's our mentality. Coach, kind of going back a little bit to the press too here. Does your mentality change at all crunch time when you're pressing, you know, in the last four minutes of a game, as opposed to the first 36, where it's just about pace and getting turnout, all that. And then all of a sudden it's a tight game for either way. Do you look at it differently or are you the same mentality then? I love trapping late game. Like I love going and, and making something happen late because I think teams want it. Like what you said, there's the, the thing, well, let's just be conservative. And listen, I, I've done that too. I've been more like, hey, let's not foul. Let's not trap. Let's not get ourselves. But we are at our best when in those situations we're aggressive, making guys make plays, going fast, you know, especially out of a timeout. 
we had a team we put in our conference that would always call timeout on the side, you know, get across half court, call timeout on the side and run a set. We would trap the first pass every time. That's our gold call. We're, we're going to go gold. If they, they call timeout, we're going gold every time they do this because whatever they're running, whatever they, they, they drew up. And the funny part was he, the guy never changed to not call on timeout. The best thing he could do is not call timeout because we're just, we're going to play straight up man to man. So we, we trapped that, you know, I just don't think that you should get beat by their best stuff. And I think sometimes in the game, if you can trap and you can be aggressive and do that, you know, it's like a guy goes full speed and all of a sudden he's three on two and he throws the ball to the wrong guy and they turn it over. That could be the game right there. But now there are times when you're in the bonus and you don't want to foul that we're going to be more, hey, listen, let's just go straight 55 and let's just not foul. Let's just let's do a lot of stunning. I'm constantly at the, on the sideline yelling, don't foul, don't foul, don't foul, because, you know, guys will still try to be sometimes too aggressive. You hit on something with us, coach. My mind goes to now, how are you working on these late game trap situational things with your players? Because I think it's just such a different mindset when it's just teaching the principles of a press and how to have back pressure and all that. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, knowing the score, the time, we're going to press, get back to recover. What types of drills or situations do you put them in in practice so they're used to this? Yeah. No, we, and we do you know quite a few situations. And I, and I will say that I probably make more calls late game than I do the first 36 minutes, they're thinking in their minds, well, we should, we probably shouldn't trap here. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what we're going to do here. So we have a goal. We're trapping the first pass or we call it first, the first bounce we're going. So it's like, I'll make more calls. And so we'll do a practice a minute and a half to go, whatever it is, whatever situation is. And we're going to go gold, you know, so let's go gold on the pass where we're going. Now, listen, there's more of a sense of urgency to recover because we're in a situation where it's a two point game and we cannot afford here, not here to not be back at full speed, not being in, in great rotations making the right plays. And I think guys know that. I think if you get across to them that our mentality is going to be to be aggressive at that point of the game, then I think they're ready for when the game, when the game comes. But the same token, we've also gone one, three and a chaser. We've also gone triangle and two, but just something different. Like we're not, I don't want to necessarily guard your best at the end of the game. Cause you know, listen, teams work spend a lot of time on that kind of thing. And I think we went one, three and a chaser in the NCAA tournament three years ago. It won us a big possession and we ended up winning the game and they had no idea it was coming. we kind of saved it for then. Because we'll do that as well. We'll, we'll work on that. We're going to go in. And, and the funny part is that you call a timeout and you ask the guys, like, what do you think? And they all want to stay. They all want to play half. They want to play man to man. They all, Coach, let's just go straight man. Yeah. They, they don't want to foul. They don't want to foul when you're up by three. They get, you know, no, we're, we're fine, coach. No, no, no. We're, we're going we're gonna to go, <laughs> go in three chaser. We're going to go. We're going to trap. We're going to foul. And then if you do it a couple of times, it's successful. Then they're like, let's do it that way. Yeah. Sometimes asking them is not necessarily the, the, the best right. thing to do because they get their own. Ideas. It's not always a democracy. No, no, it can't be all the time. <laughs> yeah. Coach, maintaining your aggression in these crunch time, do you find that the other teams are reluctant to be aggressive as far as if you get a trap and they break the trap or they press the inbound that they won't use the advantage other than just hold it up and you guys can reset? That's a great point because the guys are afraid. Now, the main guy will make plays, right? But that's the beauty of the press is yeah. sometimes it gets to the third guy they want to handle the ball, but he's not going to be as aggressive saying, well, if I go here and I don't make a play, now all of a sudden I'm in trouble. You know, we're trying to run a certain action. So yeah, teams are, are very reluctant to be that aggressive at the end of the game. I think that's a great point. And we yeah. almost want them like, listen, go, go try something. Yeah. Let's, let's see what you do here and see what happens. And if it's, if it's a, the third guy with the ball, who's making the decision, I'm always telling the guys that like, we're going to be fine. So sometimes like, get the ball out of their best ball handler. Most guys are in the backcourt. The, the, the first and second best ball handlers are using the bat in the backcourt. Okay. We trap, we rotate. The first guy throws the second guy. Now we're going to throw the ball to the third or fourth ball handler. He's got to make a decision going three on two. We got back pressure. I'll take our chances. You know, he's going to travel. He's going to, he's, we'll take a ton of charges because he's out of control. 
he'll make the wrong decision. He'll take the wrong shot. And I've always said against our press, I kind of like it. The first possession of the game, they come down the floor and they go boom, boom, throw the ball to the corner. Guy makes a three, right? Because now it's like, okay, you made the first three. Now do you shoot all those threes? And all of a sudden, you know, I feel pretty good about that. When then you miss the second one, you miss the third one. Now the coach is upset because, hey, we shouldn't be taking those shots. Now you got to pull it back out. And once they start being hesitant, then it's like, now we got them yeah. afraid to make plays at certain points. So it's, it's, it's a whole, it's, it's, a, it's a mentality that kind of like can cause problems for certain teams, especially teams who are very structured and yeah. have a, a certain way they want to play. And our thing is to cause as much chaos as we possibly can without being crazy, right? Yeah. Coach, before we move on to start subset, I just have to ask just for clarification too. When you say one, three and a chaser, can yep. you just specify what that is? It's a one, three zone. We got the top of the key usually put two guys in the wings and then put our center in the middle. And then we'll chase the one guy using their best player or their point guard, their most, their most important player. A lot of times it's a, it's a point guard and that's a full denial. So the one guy guarding him pays no attention to anything else besides his man can't catch the ball. That's all he's got, one, one job. So a lot of times you put the guy who can't guard anybody, that's his job. He's the chaser. It's a one, three zone. And so it's also, I mean, it's a, to say it's a box in one, it depends right. on, on their alignment. If they're in a two guard front, it'll shift into a box. If they're okay. in one guard front, okay. it's a chaser. We kind of like, we call it one, three, because we're trying to take with the wing threes for the most part. So by being in a one, three to start, we're going to be able to handle the two wing shooters and then just kind of go from there. Okay. Got it. The key to the one, three chaser is not to practice it because if you practice <laughs> it, if you practice it, they, the other, in practice, the other team scores every time, like sit every time. And so like the best way is like, listen, we call it about, here's what it is. Here's one, three chase. We drop the board and they're like, guys, we're looking at you like, like we've run it before. So they know, but it's like, just, just yeah. do it. That's like the used to be like Dan about the gray area. There's lots of gray area in one three chase. Like, yeah. listen, I, just do oh, it. Yeah. We're trying to buy ourselves like three possessions here and screw them up. And then yeah. we're back to, I mean, you won't stay there very long. There's a lot of gray area. Yeah. You're, you're gambling that their offense will be Absolutely. worse than your defense. Absolutely. Yep. And they're like, what, what the hell are they doing here? You know? So, uh, yeah. By the time they figure it out, we get we get out of it. You know, it's like, the funny part is if they yeah. score the first time down, you're out of it. They don't score like five times. Hey, this is great. We're just keep yeah, on, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Just keep on rolling. Exactly. It's so true, though. <laughs> Whenever we work on a box and one or triangle two, the scout group would just oh. light up our first group and. And, and the yeah. first group's always looking over like, coach, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Like, trust me, they're not going to see you coming. Just yeah. trust us. They kill it in practice. Every time they kill it. And then the yeah. only guys are looking at me. My assistant coach are looking at me like, what are you know? I'm like, let's just calm down. Like, let's, let's, let's get out of this. Uh, all right. Well, coach, this has been fantastic so far. We want to move now into a segment we always have a lot of fun with called start, sub, or sit. We'll give you three different basketball-ish topics. Have you start one, have you sub one, and then have you sit one, and then we can uh, kind of discuss and go from there. So awesome. so this first one, just a fun one for you to start. You talked earlier about getting out of a funk, maybe as a coach. So start, sub, sit, ways to get out of a funk after a loss as a head coach. Having a great practice the next day, having a great post-game hang session with the other coaches, maybe uh, at the office or at the bar to get it out of your system, or doing something outside of the sport of basketball to kind of clear your mind, go for a run, hang out with the family, start subset, getting the funk out of your system. I'm going to sit the post game with the assistant coach. All you do is just bitch and moan about <laughs> things. It just, it becomes a, just a complaint session. And it always becomes, we need better players, right? We got, we got, we got to better. <laughs> we, you know, it's like, it's like watching tape after a game. I hate that. Like I, I do not watch the film after a game, win or lose, whatever it is, I maybe twice a year, I try to like, just not watch it, not pay attention to it. And then the next morning, usually I'm up at, you know, whatever, six in the morning, I'll watch it then. So 
I don't like the post-game hangout, the post-game, that, that session at all. I mean, for me personally, great practice. I'm going to start great practice because like, I want to get right back into it. Probably not healthy, probably not the best thing, but if I can go, and I think what, what I've learned as I've gotten older is if you can go back in the next day and do a very simple, short practice and not try to be complicated, not try to do more things than you should and just go in like, we might do three things, mostly competitive, like mostly five on five, but you know, not none of this, you know, if we didn't guard ball screens well, I don't want to go back in and just kill ball screen defense. I want to go back in and get ourselves going positive. And then I love going for a run, going for a workout, things like that. But the problem is sometimes when you're done and you're back to the same place you started. <laughs> right. So I'm going to sub that one in, but I, the post game, I, I don't, those are wasted. Those are not. <laughs> they make you feel better at the time and it's not, it's not yeah, great. Absolutely. Okay, coach, start sub sit in terms of getting a big road win, but from an offensive standpoint, something you need to do offensively to win on the road, win the assist battle or reach a certain number of assists, win the free throw margin or win the points in the paint. That's a good one. You know, we're, we're funny. We've had a lot of success and I think we've lost the free throw battle because we probably, because we press, we foul quite a bit. We, yeah. we lose every free throw margin possible. So I'm going to say, I'm going to put that. I think it's important. I think it's it kind of um, the points in the paint sometimes dictates your free throws, but we also tend to foul sometimes. So I'm going to sit the free throw margin. I think points of the paint is huge. I think points of the paint is paramount. That's like the biggest thing for us is to be able to get the ball inside. And I think if you get the ball to paint and still get your good threes off of that, that's important. And then, you know, assists, I think assists are, I don't, for some reason, we pay a lot of attention to turnovers, a lot of attention because it's turnovers for us to how we play. Mm-hmm. We were great this year. Assists, we were like top five in the country, but I haven't put a whole lot of stock in that. We drive the ball a lot. We're a penetration motion team. So there are times we don't have a ton of assists and still play great offensively. But I do think assists do tend to, to lead to, are you sharing the ball? So I'm going to start the points of the paint. I'm going to uh, sub in the assists. And then uh, in the free throw margin, if you look at our stats, we give up a lot of points on free throws. And there's times we'll come into halftime. And if we, we have like four personal fouls, our guys will say, well, that's great. We didn't foul too much. I'm like, yeah, we, we probably didn't play very well because we're not being aggressive enough. So I think sometimes we have to foul to create that aggressive mindset. So I'm not, I'm not married to the free throw thing as much. Can I put a fourth one in there? Please. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Offensive rebounds. I think if you're going to win on the road, Winning in a big game, you got to go get offense. I, I think offense is, is huge. And I may, you know, I guess I've been listening to your podcast. I may send all five guys next year. I'm telling you, I'm, like I told you, I'm, I'm getting crazy as I get older. I may just <laughs> the whole world. We may send us. We're, we're all going to go. Yeah. We're all going to go. Because I think get the coaches out there. Yeah. Like I, I just think, like, let's, let's, let's have some fun. I heard Kelvin Sampson speak one time and he just said he, he went on a foreign trip, sent, sent all five guys the offensive boards. So I'm like, I'd be interested to know what would happen if we could do that. You know, now it depends on personnel, but I, I think. Getting offensive rebounds is a backbreaker. We call them daggers. The offensive rebound into a three. Yeah. I mean, those are just, those yeah. are your best threes you get sometimes. So I, th- I think I'm going to, offensive rebound is the, is the MVP and then the rest of them can get okay. go. Okay, all right. From there. Fair all enough. Right? Coach, with those dagger, those offensive rebound three-pointers, are you teaching anything? Are you telling your guys, hey, if we get an offensive rebound, run to the corners? Or so your rebounders know maybe where to look for those dagger threes? We basically tell the offensive rebound, if you don't have an immediate putback, you're looking out. And then yeah, okay. we don't always really say spots, but like we always send two guys back. Those guys on the offensive board are hitting right to the three. And we're going okay. right to three. Don't find the ball. It's a deep corner rebound. They'll go to the corners. We just yeah. find an open spot. And we hit a dagger, the whole bench. We love the daggers. The daggers are like, that's like the whole bench goes crazy. And we, everybody's yelling dagger. So it's kind of like what you emphasize. It's a lot of fun. So like you know, dagger, dagger, <laughs> dagger. So we we make it a fun thing. And it's like, it's like we scored yeah. It's almost like it's a six point play sometimes. It's like such a huge, such a backbreaker. Offensive board, boom, kick out for a dagger. And then we're going nuts. You know, yeah. it's, it's like a free throw rebound. We get, we get a free throw rebound. We call it a bobcat. 
and we go crazy. My wife, she's like, man, I love Bob. She doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. She loves Bobcats. <laughs> like, we get a free throw rebound and we score a Bobcat. Like the whole sideline is going crazy. Bobcat, Bobcat. I don't even know, know what Bobcat is, but we. Uh, <laughs> That's good. Those things are. I love. I love those things. <laughs> That's good. Is, is there a reason why it's called Bobcat? Yep. The guy, the coach at Quinnipiac, Sean Doherty, who's a good friend of mine, he taught us how to rebound off free throws. We do a little thing and you know, no one else does it, which is funny. They'll probably start doing it when they hear the podcast, but like we do a little playoff. You know, you probably see it before we, we screen down and come across over the top. We probably yeah. get, I don't know, let's say 25 per year. But if you get one in a big spot, you know, and especially we haven't always been a great free throw shooting team, but if you don't miss a free throw, now you get an offensive, you know, you get a Bobcat. You get a bobcat yeah. dagger, that should be like that should be like, like ten points. You get because you get all the your game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. But those, yeah, we we do that all the time. And like, if our guys don't bobcat, if they don't make that move on the offensive rebound, we'll run a seventeen the next day. It's like you have to go every, you have to bobcat every time. If you don't do it, we're gonna run a seventeen because that's so important for us. And like, you know, a minute to go, and it's a one on one. And hey, if we miss one, but we get a bobcat, and we get two. That's the game right there. So yeah, those are yeah. big. Coach, can I follow up on the Bobcat too? I'd like to know, well, I don't want you to give away your secrets too much, but are you giving those guys, are they Xing in front of each other and coming around or are they spinning off? Do you make a call at the time? Do you have different options for them to do the Bobcat stuff? We have an assistant who calls the guy's names. One guy's a diver. One guy's the, is the guy who goes over the top. Yeah. So we call out the guy's name. Depending, obviously the guy, the diver is going to be the tough guy, the physical guy who wants a little bit of contact. He's basically going to come across and take guys out. There's a certain technique we teach with that guy who's looping behind. One guy's diving, the other guy's looping behind. And we're trying to like get to the front of the rim. That's, that's a putback dunk if you yeah, can, you know? Yeah. So we have an assistant coach call the guy's name out. And after, after a certain point, they kind of know who's, you know, it's like the, the tough guy is going to dive and the, and the, yeah. the finesse guy is going to loop, right? <laughs> and there's times we look at the free throw line and be like two finesse guys in there. Like, no, no, get it, get out of it. Get, get it, get it. <laughs> then somebody else in there. I tell you what, that has been, I told this to Sean, and Sean's a good friend of mine. Like that's been one of the most important things that we've done the last five years to win us games is that free throw offensive rebound. It's been I cannot tell you the number of big baskets we've got off of that action. Because like at the end of the day, what happens at a free throw in the, the game? Coach is calling out, "Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to run this play. We're going to." Guys are not as engaged in the games on free throw box outs, yep. and you can steal one. That's a back. Yep. That's a game. Absolutely. You know? All right, coach. We got one more free each here, so I'm going to oh. move on to my next. So we're going to go the offensive side of the ball here with you. So I know you guys run motion offense and I want to go start sub sit the most important elements for you within the motion offense. So start sub sit rim cuts or just cutting in general, clearing space through a cut, screening, either screening away or setting flare screens or just proper spacing, getting to the deep corners or getting to the wings. The least important to me is screening. We've become more of a cutting motion. My dad was a Bob Knight disciple. We ran all five. When I was a high school player, we ran all Bob Knight motion. And your first guest, Elliot, who's a tremendous motion coach, yeah. tremendous motion coach. I watch his stuff all the time and he's more of a screening motion. Like we're more of a cutting driving motion just because we don't, we, you know, we've actually gotten rid of the down screen. So we, we don't screen as much anymore. And I don't think we're a great screening team. We're more of a cutting team. So I would say the cuts and the spacing are probably the two most important things in our motion. And I think the spacing is probably the, the I would probably start spacing because you can't, like you can cut all you want to. If you cut on top of each other, that's a major problem. You got to be able to cut and then get the hell out of there. If you cut and linger, if you cut and, and jog out of there, you're going to have major problems. You're creating the space, you're creating room, room to drive, you're creating room to, to make plays. And we've done a couple of things off our cuts. We've actually invented some things. We Our own watching guys play and just saying, this is, we call one as a follow cut where a guy will basket cut and the guy will come right off his ass and cut right behind mm-hmm. him. We call it a follow cut. And that's been, very effective. So I think the spacing is the most important, but the rim cuts are huge too. And, and I think 
Part of that is how hard you cut. We got to cut hard. Like you got to cut with a purpose. You got to cut looking for the ball. You got to cut with the idea you're trying to score off those cuts. You can't replicate sometimes how hard teams cut. Like you see good offensive teams play, man, they cut, they cut hard. So to us, I think the spacing is huge. So because you got to have spacing first, first and foremost, spacing is offense, offense is spacing, but then you got to be able to cut hard. We're not a great screening team. And I think in general, you don't see teams that screen that well anymore. I don't think you see great screening teams anymore. I think you see more teams that are slipping and more teams that are ghosted and more teams that are moving off that. And I was, it was funny. I was watching some AU this weekend and you've seen all these guys, all these big guys. Now they're ghosting all it's, it's great. It's great. Like it's, it's like certain things are a privilege and certain things are a right. Like that, that kind of stuff. That's a privilege. That's not a right. Like there's certain guys like just roll. You just get the hell out of there so we can, <laughs> right. we can get a shake action or something like stop trying to, to be cute because you saw some video of guys doing it. You saw Luca doing certain uh, Lucas. We're not all Luca. So yep. um, I had a rule for a long time on ball screens that, you, know, you had to roll, you had to roll, you had to roll. And then all of a sudden now we've got, we've fallen in love a little bit with the, with all the other actions. So now we, we do almost do that too much where it's like, now it's like, all right, y'all, you have to roll. And then we pull two guys aside. Now you listen, you can, you can ghost a little bit. You can slip a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, but, 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 you know, but, but no, I'm, I think I'm, uh, the screening is not as important to me. Coach, a quick kind of philosophical question. If you're going to be a pressing team, is there a type of offense that is more conducive? Like, can you be a walk it up methodical offense and still press how you want to press? To me, it's like, I want to give the guys offensive freedom, right? Because defensively, we're asking a lot of our guys to pressure the ball, to play yeah. 94 feet, to whenever we score, like there's a certain, like you've got to be in certain spots. You got to be in rotation. We're asking them to play there, you know, for back pressure. You got to be in a dead sprint the whole time. Out of traps, you got to be in a dead sprint. So I think to ask them to play that hard I have to give them some offensive freedom to make plays. That's why I think motion fits in well with how we play. And I've become more tolerant of quick shots than I used to be. I don't necessarily judge shot selection like I used to. I used to judge shot selection a lot more. Now it's more like, all right, if you think it's a good shot, let's go ahead and be aggressive. And then we'll discuss it at a certain point, you know, through tape or through practice. I want guys to be aggressive. So I, I think giving them offensive freedom helps us defensively and vice versa. We're now, all right, listen, you got to pressure the ball. You got to defend like crazy. You got to sprint the 494 feet. But now when you get the ball on offense, we're going to give you an opportunity to make plays. We're going to, we're going to let you play to your strengths to be aggressive. Now we want to get the ball in the paint. We want to get the ball to the third side. We want to give everybody a touch at certain points, but it's a balance. I think it'd be hard. Like we don't do it. And yeah. the more times I get into running sets, the more problems I create for my own team. Uh -huh. When I get into calling too many things, slowing things down, it's not great. That's not the best way our teams play. So I think having a, a flow on offense is very important when you're pressing all the time. All right, coach, since you brought up that you like to play through the post, start sub sit. After the post entry, do you want a cut, the passer to screen away, or the passer to receive a flare? Well, I'm going to start speed cut. We most For the most part, we speed cut all the time. That's, that's our mm -hmm. default. We're going to pass in the post. We're going to speed cut. Give him some room, get out of his way, let him play. I do like, as time's gone on, depending upon who the person is who throws the ball in to screen for a shooter just to, to mm -hmm. occupy. So I would say depends on who's in what spots, right? If we, if we get a guy, we, yeah. like I told you before, we will play guys who can't shoot. We're, we're on like, when you play 10 guys, if you guys just a great defender or just a great guy on the ball, we can play guys who can't shoot because they bring value in other ways. But now on the offensive end, if a guy who can't shoot throws ball in the post, well, he, we've always said speed cut, just get, get him out of there. But I wouldn't yeah. mind screening for a guy, but we don't screen a lot when the ball goes in the post. Now we do a lot of the, um, Grenade. We, we grenade. Yeah. Like that's that we do a lot of that. And so and I think that's part of it. We'll speed cut and then grenade the next guy, especially if he's a driver. So we'll hit speed cut 
and grenade to a guy off the bench, especially if a guy in the post can't really score. I'm going to sit both the flare screen and the green away. I'm going to, I'm going to seven grenade and I'm going to, seven the grenade. I'm going to start the speed cut. I'm just going to change the rules. That's fine. That's fine. I, no. love, I love this part. I love this section so much, but you're screwed. You're screwing things up. You're going to be missing the best. The, best things, but, uh, <laughs> the, the rules are there are no yeah, that's rules. Right. You know? <laughs> right, that's right. Right. I don't know. Yeah. That's a discussion I have every year about the ball goes to the post. What are you doing? It's, I feel like the same it's the same discussion the same time of year all the time like we're getting too stagnant we're not moving enough what are we going to do are they're, they're they're sitting on our post guys so i i'm always trying to think of new ideas and I, the other day it always comes back oh, let's just keep on speed cutting you know coach can i follow up because when i've watched your team play your post guys are so under control as far as they play slow making a move yep. to the rim one how much do you work on that and then two how much of your off ball either spacing or cutting or movement is it based off of every season on how good your post player is and what they want? If they want all sorts of cuts coming or if they just want guys to space so they can go to work? Yeah, we've been lucky enough to have two really good post players. And so I think, you know, it goes back to my dad was also a big Majerus guy. Rick Majerus was, was always, you know, post guys play slow, low, slow and under control, you know? And I think if a guy's got a foot in the paint, we want to do it to attack right away. So that's the time we won't speed cut. We won't do any action. If the guy's, you know, throw the ball and he's got a deep catch or a foot in the paint, We'll try to leave them alone, let them score right away. If not, and luckily our post guys have been pretty good in the mid post. Hey, catch it. Let the guy speed cut. Let him clear. Get a feel for what's going on. We have had problems when guys have cut on top of him. Sometimes guys get on the perimeter, get anxious Mm -hmm. and like, oh, nothing's happening. I need to cut. And it's like, no, no, just stay the hell away from those guys. We will dive a guy into the short corner, the opposite short corner, the short porch, especially a non-shooter. We will do that. We'll dive him in there to play off the post guy. And we had our good kid a couple of years ago. We got a ton of we work middle, work middle, and then we take that guy baseline underneath him. Got a lot of like dump off layups there for a shot. But we're trying to work middle. We're trying to play under control. We're trying to keep those guys out of there as far as spacing goes. But it's the same old thing. We run a motion offense. The guy turns his head and is helping too much of the post guy. We will have, hey, listen, if you see something, go ahead and cut. Yeah. And that becomes then a debate between the post guy and the guard. Like, why are you cutting? You know, get the hell out of there. Still, you know, leave me alone. So <laughs> we let them handle it sometimes. For but, sure. Uh, for sure. Yeah. We definitely try to get those guys to play to play slow. And we, and I've got, I've got a great staff where, where we spend a lot of time with the post guys and a lot of stuff one-on-one and just working on, on them reading things and getting a feel. And, and, you know, I, I love when they kick it back out and throw back it, you know, throw back in again, the, the yeah. repost and stuff's great. The good post guys do that. They throw back that. That takes time too. You know, it's the problem is post guys feel like if they throw it out, they will never get back. <laughs> That's right. You got to make them feel like they're going to get the ball again sometimes. It's like a semi-pro Jackie Moon. Coach, with the grenade action, is it a is it a read or are you making usually the call? That- no, it's a read. It's a read. It's a read. So when we teach our motion, like a lot of times we'll do it. I've heard a lot of guys that have talked, you know, like it's probably the same way. A lot, a lot of the three-on-three stuff, like, let's go, let's go three-on-three. Three, let's throw it in. Let's get a speed cut. Let's grenade and play live. A lot of times we'll go three-on-oh to start practice. Let's go three-on-oh. Here's, here's the action we're looking for. Then we'll go three-on-three. Three, and then by the time you get to five-on-five, five, they'll get a feel for, for that. We had a five-man the last couple of years, a really good player, really helped us win a lot of games, toughest. He just couldn't score the post. So we knew if he threw him the ball in the post, he, for the most part, was going to grenade almost all the time. Like he always grenaded, you know, and other guys were trying to score. So it's their read for what's going on. We actually have a set we ran for a long time, a grenade set. We'd actually screen away, and it was a great set, and then teams started to get used to it. But it's obviously, I think it's better when it comes organically, and we, we were just playing, yeah. and we get it that way. It's a hard thing to guard. It really is. Yeah. No. Well, coach, you're uh, you're off the start sub sit 
uh, hot seat. That was that was a lot of fun. So we you know we won't find you at the local Applebee's after a tough loss. You'll be out for a run or something. Well, that's not. I, I, sometimes I lie about things too. I probably will. There's a great barbecue place. If you guys come to New York, there's a great barbecue place about two minutes from campus here. And on the way home, so it's a pretty good chance I do stop. But what about if I stop by myself? I just sit there by myself, watch an NBA game at ten thirty, and, and I, that's that should count as something. You know, I, I need something to yeah, take my that's, mind off. That's therapeutic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Coach. That was uh, that was great. So before we wrap up here, really thank you so much for your time today and your thoughts and going so in depth. This has been just awesome for I know for Pat and I, but I know all these coaches listening too um, to mm-hmm. hear your thoughts. So thank you very much. I appreciate all you guys are doing. It's awesome. It's become a huge thing. And, and like I said before, like all, all us coaches, we love to hear the X and O's and the tactical stuff and the, and, the, and the basketball thing and things. And, and it's like, you know, at the end of the day, coaching becomes so, so much more than, than there's so much more involved into it that people have no idea about. It's not drawn up a player. So like, there's so much going on that you spend so much time on. And so it's, it's good to hear people's thoughts and ideas on that and, yeah. and how you text certain things. You guys are doing an awesome, awesome job. Keep it up. Thank you very I have, much. I have my full time membership, so you know, I, I encourage you to be on there. Listen, sign, sign up. You get it's a great thing. I did. I did. I did like Sunday, like mid afternoon. I'm like, I'm. De- I got to make sure I don't don't miss this. So Thank you. It's a great appreciate. Thing. Thank we'll you. We'll have finish. to bring you back every podcast to have you uh, put a little uh, sales <laughs> yeah. pitch. Yeah. 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 Uh, so thank you for that. All right, Coach. We talked a little bit about before we came on air, and you've been mentioning it too throughout the podcast. But I'm just curious as you approach this off season or start to look and think about next season, what's one thing you would change about whether it's a tactic or how you coach and what's one thing you would keep, but more so in the sense like double down on that you think like you really believe in that will give you success for next season? Yeah, it's a great question. What I, what I try to do at the end of the year with, with my staff and we're a little behind schedule, we're going to do this this week coming up as we go through and write them down all, all the good things, all the bad things, all the things we loved, things we didn't like. And we go, we meet together and we, we hash them out and go through things. And it's, it's funny because sometimes the things that I didn't like, they end up saying, oh, I, that was good, you know? So that's a great question. Like I said, I want to be more aggressive. We led the nation in forcing turnovers this year in Division Two, and we pressed 42% of the time. Is there a way for us to press and be more aggressive, you know, 80% of the time, 85% of the time, create our tempo all the time? And so I'm looking at ways of doing that. You know, how many teams press the full 40 minutes? Very few teams do that, right? And almost nobody presses off misses and things. So if I could figure out a way to do that, and not screw things up and not, not screw up our, how we're doing, you know, it's, it's a fine line because we, we're having success, yeah. we're doing well, but I think as a coach, sometimes you get caught in that thing where like, all right, we're doing well, but like you got to keep changing things a little bit. I think even for our players to keep things fresh for them, like this might, we have a lot of guys back. Our best three players are back for next year. We got like nine guys are back. Just something different might be good for us to do. And then if it doesn't work, we can always go back and say, oh, that's, that didn't work. Let's just do something else. So I think being more aggressive is one thing I like to change. As far as keeping, I think our relationship with our players and the way we handle things here. I, I've got a great, I've got three assistant coaches and we just, our guys are in the gym all the time. If I walk upstairs to my gym. Our, our, our gym's not great. If I walk into our gym anytime between September and they just left last week in May, there is somebody of our, of our team in the gym shooting. And like our culture of like working hard and working on their game and getting better. I don't know how, how do you create that? Like, I think we just keep, we just do it. And the old, the guys who were here before did that before our new guys got there. And we just, they love to be in the gym. I think part of that's we're in the gym all the time. We we bought a um a ping pong table for the program. And like, so now they'll come in and they'll do a workout and we'll say, oh, let's play a game of ping pong. After. But they're, they're sometimes they're in the gym for like two or three hours. They'll watch other guys work out, they'll hang out. I think when you have that kind of like mentality, our best teams have always had guys that just love to be hanging out with their teammates in the gym all the time. And so we've 
we've done a great job of having that probably by recruiting the right kind of guys, but it's also like we foster that big time. It's not about watching tape. It's not about, I mean, tape's important and all that stuff's important and making recruiting calls is important, but the guys that are here, like just being around them all the time, being in the gym, showing how they, how they can get better and having some fun, making like this year was such a hard year, making it fun. So, you know, if we'd had that ping pong table all year long, like we were 14 and two, we'd have been, we'd definitely would have gone 16 and zero. <laughs> that, that ping pong table could have been the key for us. We might have won the national title if we had that, you know, it's, it's been unbelievable. Plus I've gotten better at ping pong. So that's been a great thing too. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I think just having that, I want to, I want to keep that mentality. Don't lose that. Yeah. Don't lose that. Don't get caught up. And it's not like, like, yeah, pressing off misses is great, but that's not going to be the end all be all. That's something we can maybe make us a little bit better. That that culture of guys getting better and loving to be around each other and around the coaching staff. And then they still enjoy me, which is good. Like they can't always love you, but they also can't always hate you either. They got they got to feel a certain amount of like, hey, it's good to see coach. It's good to see him. You know, I, I think that's a good thing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to subscribe to our Sunday morning newsletter for additional insights on this podcast. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slap and Glass. Do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Let's roll. <laughs> slapping glass.